0: Hello and welcome to your Yellow Room. I am Evi Kyori and this week, we are talking about the Delta variant spread that threatens the awaited return to normality after almost a year and a half of restrictions and lockdowns. What is the World Health Organization worried about? What are the plans to shield the EU from another wave of the virus? And how is it affecting the use of the COVID-19 certificate? We are also talking about the upcoming package of new and revised climate legislation and the concerns of French MEP Pascal Canfon that considers the proposal to extend the EU's carbon market to be politically suicidal. So the Delta variant is becoming the new headache for the EU, but also for the World Health Organization that has to come up with solutions to prevent a new wave of the virus and to prevent imposing new restrictions. To break down the components of this story, I spoke with Euractiv's health reporter, Gidre Peseckite. So, Gidre... Everyone is talking about the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus. However, there isn't a clear picture on why this variant is so concerning and why is this strain so different from the ones that were detected before.
1: I think it is important to highlight that all viruses, including SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, change over time. Actually, most of the changes do not have a great impact on how easily the virus spreads, the severity of infection, or the performance of vaccines or therapeutic medicines, etc. But in some cases, the changes in the virus, the mutations, make the virus, like, let's say, way more aggressive. And this is actually what happened with the Delta variant, which mutations help the virus to bind to cells in the body, which means it is easier to catch this variant.
0: The Delta variant was firstly reported in India in October 2020 and since then it has been identified in at least 85 countries and it's spreading rapidly among unvaccinated populations. The World Health Organization described it as a variant of high concern because the Delta variant has proven to be the most infectious and transmissible of all the strains detected so far.
1: There is a study that suggests that the Delta variant is up to 60% more transmissible than the Alpha variant first identified in UK, and Alpha variant is 50% more transmissible than the original viral strain first detected in Wuhan, China. So taking all this into account, it makes the Delta variant basically the most hyper-transmissible, contagious version of all the variants of the virus. And this is the reason why we saw some countries like Australia or Israel that were lifting restrictions and moving towards, let's say, normality. They took a step back as the number of cases started to rise because of Delta variant. But it is hard to comment on if the Delta variant causes more severe disease as more research needs to be done. What I can say, though, is that obviously more cases mean more hospitalizations, uh, which stretch healthcare systems and might result in an increase of death cases.
0: And do we have any reactions from the World Health Organization or any action taken to prevent yet another wave of the ongoing pandemic?
1: WHO held a COVID-19 virtual press conference on the 25th of June, and Delta variant was one of the main issues addressed there. And what Dr. Maria von Kirchhoff, a technical lead on COVID-19 at WHO, said is that the global situation is incredibly fragile. And I think this is something that we tend to forget, especially in summer, while Europe is seeing a decline in cases. And I quote what Maria von Kirchhoff said. Europe and many countries are seeing a decline in cases, but there are a lot of events that are occurring across the region, whether these are large events related to sports or religious events or even backyard barbecues. All of these actions have consequences and the Delta variant is spreading rapidly among people who are unvaccinated, the end of the quote. So, of course, WHO is urging for caution, highlighting the importance, for example, of wearing masks, but this is not the main way to minimizing the risks. The key is vaccination, which is the main message from the WHO. Basically, we cannot relax while the whole or at least the vast majority of population haven't
0: been vaccinated. Since you mentioned the vaccinations, you know, the vaccine campaigns are going on. What is the new information on that and how effective are the vaccines? Will they manage to become a barrier to the spreading of this new variant? So vaccination
1: seems to provide good protection against Delta, but there is one but. One, dose seems to offer less protection than it did against other COVID-19 variants. The data by Public Health England found that the effectiveness against Delta variant of two doses of Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and two doses of AstraZeneca vaccine was over 90%. So this is a result quite similar to the other variants. But Public Health England has previously published an analysis showing that one dose is 17% less effective at preventing symptomatic illness from the Delta variant. And about other vaccines, now, Moderna announced on the 29th of June that their shot showed promise against the Delta in a lab study uh, with a modest decrease in response compared to the original strain. But we have Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is a single shot. And this is already raising concern in the U.S., uh, Reuters reports that infectious disease experts are discussing the need for booster shots of the Pfizer-BioNTech or Moderna mRNA-based vaccines for Americans who receive Johnson & Johnson's vaccine. It's due to the rise of Delta variant cases. So we need to keep an eye on what the European Medicines Agency might advise for those who receive Johnson & Johnson.
0: And many countries are now opening up for the summer season, you know, such as Spain, Portugal, Greece uh, and others. So how will the spread of the Delta variant affect us and is there a possibility of imposing new measures and restrictions I found an interesting data
1: uh, so European Center of Disease Prevention and Control director Andrea Ammon in the statement on 23rd of June warned that by the end of August Delta variant will represent 90% of all SARS-CoV-2 viruses circulating in the European Union So as probably you already know it is already dominant in the UK. And uh, it also likely accounts for 50% of cases in Germany. But at the moment, it seems like the restrictions are actually easing. Some countries are lifting the restrictions, such as Spain. Uh, Spain ended mandatory outdoor mask wearing. The Netherlands did so too, together with easing restrictions on indoor dining and nightclubs. But I think this might take U-turn at any time, as we see examples from other countries in the world where cases spiked because of this variant, and then additional restrictions from mask wearing in Israel to lockdowns in Australia's biggest cities were imposed. I think we need to keep in mind that unfortunately, the pandemic is not over yet. And what EU countries are already doing, they are imposing stricter rules for travelers from countries with higher rates of um. Uh, For countries that has higher rates of Delta cases, recently, German Chancellor Angela Merkel said that, um, well, basically, she urged the bloc to coordinate closely and be more cautious about allowing entry to travelers from external countries.
0: And I read on youractive.com that, for instance, Germany is now imposing a 14-day quarantine for people returning from Portugal. Is that something that we will keep seeing?
1: This is a good question. And uh, of course, it falls under a uh, digital EU COVID certificate.
0: Exactly, because if you have been vaccinated and you have the COVID-19 certificate, then why do you have to quarantine?
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, and I think uh, this issue was... Um, discussed many times also in negotiations like can countries um, have additional travel restrictions can they impose additional travel restrictions and actually with the COVID-19 certificate um, a lot was left for the member state to decide on and countries still can impose additional national travel restrictions such as quarantine self-isolation or testing if necessary and proportionate to safeguard public health So in this case, such measures should be notified to other member states and the Commission at least 48 hours in advance. So this is something that was agreed upon among the EU institutions uh, in the negotiations on this uh, digital EU COVID certificate. Of course, seeing Germany imposing a mandatory 14-day quarantine on returning travelers from Portugal even if they are fully vaccinated, just a couple of days before the official launch of the Digital EU COVID Certificate might bring doubts of how the system will work in practice. And I think in this case, the time will show. I'm honestly very curious to see how it goes as well.
0: And you're listening to your yellow room. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our digital brief podcast and AgriFood brief podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcasting app. And moving on a different topic, the European Commission is due to reveal a package of new and revised climate legislation in July. But French MEP Pascal Canfon has warned against one of the ideas that we are expecting. The proposal to extend the EU's carbon market to road transport and buildings. He said it would be politically suicidal and will cause new protests like the Yellow Vests. To hear more on this story, I am joined today by Kira Taylor, Euractiv's energy and environment reporter, and Clara bauer Babef from Euractiv France. So, what does the extension of the EU carbon market mean in practice?
2: Well, the European Union has an emissions trading scheme. It puts a price on emitting carbon in certain sectors, the so-called carbon price. That has been getting higher recently, but the system still needs to be tightened in order to reflect Europe's climate ambition. So as part of the Fit for 55 package, this big uh, package of climate legislation we're going to see in July, the Commission is expected to tighten the rules around the ETS, and that includes setting up a separate system for transport and the fuel that heats buildings. Now, that would see a direct impact on consumers, whereas before the ETS has always been targeted more at the corporate sector, and those are are their better place to invest in green technology and spread the cost across the value chain. We're now seeing consumers who are less able to do that, possibly seeing a hike in their energy bills.
0: Mm -hmm. And what's the story behind this? And why are we talking about political suicide here, Clara? Clara?
3: We're talking here about a political suicide because back in November 2018 in France, the yellow vest movement started. So what happened was uh, the working working class people rose up in response to a fuel tax increase. And for more than two years, protesters took the streets every weekend, everywhere in France, uh, calling for French President Emmanuel Macron to resign. And due to the wave of protest, the uh, French president finally decided to suspend uh, the fuel tax, but it was too late. Uh, people uh, did not agree with him. So it became a more global protest and more and more people uh, like students and union organizers uh, joined the movement uh, in opposition to the government, even though there was not a clear demand and no leader
0: and how is the Commission reacting to this? Because it really seems that there is a divergence when it comes to opinions on the carbon market and on what should be done here.
2: Yeah, there's certainly a divergence. I mean, at the moment, there's a huge amount of concern about this, particularly triggered by those 2018 protests. For me, certainly, it's easier to find someone who opposes it than it is someone who supports it. Uh, there are some supporters uh, for instance, in the European Parliament, you have those on the right of the political spectrum. They prefer market forces to regulation like CO2 standards for cars. So this actually is, is quite good for them and they would support it. For the Commission, it's kind of too late for them to back down. I mean, we've seen a leaked draft saying that this is what they're going to do. They are kind of back themselves into a corner. Possibly they wanted to be in the corner, um, but that's where they've ended up. So what they need to do now is convince the doubters of why it's a good idea and how the potential impacts uh, can and will be
0: alleviated. Okay, so that's the next step the Commission will take. But do we have any information on how are they planning to do that?
2: It's going to be extremely complicated. We're going to see the proposal in July. There are different ways that they could alleviate it. I mean, uh, Franz Tumanns, the EU Green Deal chief, we always call him. He's kind of in charge of it in the commission. He's talked about a climate um, climate action social fund. Uh, so there's money to help those who are most impacted by it um, just cope with the costs. But the question is where that money is going to come from. If that money is funded by the revenues provided by the scheme, then some critics are saying that basically you're taking money from people to then reimburse them because they couldn't afford to have it taken in the first place. So certainly I think we're all quite interested to see how the Commission will get
3: around it. Mm-hmm.
0: And who will be most affected by the extension of the EU carbon market and in what way?
3: For example, in France, extended the carbon market to uh, alien fuel could for sure lead to new protests and hit uh, the uh, poorest households So what Pascal Confant means uh, when he say it would be uh, a political suicide, uh, it means that we should uh, maybe learn uh, from the past, learn the lessons. Um, So yeah, basically in France that could be um, a social trap, as a French NGO said.
2: And yeah, across Europe, there's a similar story. Those who have less disposable income to renovate their houses, to invest in renewable energy or buy an electric vehicle, they're all likely to see uh, issues with this. And that is likely to be the, the poorest. There's also an issue when it comes to tenants they could be liable for higher bills, but landlords deal with the infrastructure of the building. So I'm sure any of us who have a a tenancy contract know that our landlord probably wouldn't want us shoving new solar panels on the roof or uh, changing the heating system. And it really depends on how the carbon price is implemented. If it's EU-wide, you may see Central and Eastern European countries more affected because they tend to have more polluting energy systems in their houses. Um, And also the economic differences between the countries you know the energy makeup of every country is different um also just the general economy people earn different amounts across the eu so if you have a flat price across the entirety of the eu you're going to see different people affected differently in each country i mean the commission could set something on the national level but again they're all just waiting it's going to be extremely complex and i really don't envy the person in the commission who's having to sit over this and work out what to do
0: Thank you, Kira and Clara. And our time is up for this week. I am Evi Kiori and this was Active Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you for listening and until next time.